good to me. Uh huh. Yeah. Live from Twin Cities, we're the Dave's. You know this is the Dave's. I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. end of the 2020 season podcast uh obviously if you're listening to this you know that minnesota united lost uh against seattle last night in a in pretty dramatic fashion uh very very minnesotan of them to to you know give us give us hope and then rip it out at the very very last minute so we have the the regular crew dan how's it going uh mostly recovered from last night you know you say dramatic i say traumatic right right I think I think for me watching uh, Man United shit the bed this afternoon and that Weston McKinney goal, uh, as I mentioned on Twitter, really helped uh, sort of uh, lessen the blow of last night. <laughs> it's always fun to watch Man, Man United shit the bed. So, yeah, that's never not fun. I uh, but as as an Arsenal fan, I'm now on like a two day just absolute so- soccer shit show. That's right. So, uh, so long story short, this will be my last podcast and I am going to get, just throw myself whole hog into competitive highlight. So please yeah. follow at D Wade for all of your highlight hot take needs. Right on, right on. Uh, at least you're not going to the rope store. That's uh, that's the most important <laughs> thing. So uh, we have MJ. MJ, how are you doing? Uh, tra- traumatic, dramatic, and aromatic. As I lit a <laughs> cup of my, my peace coffee. That is yeah. all that we get through, through today. Uh, for those that don't know, I I drink about one cup of coffee every three to six months, um, and so when I do drink, it really hits me hard. And uh, the these last couple of days, I've been trying to drink alcohol less, not completely abstain, but a little less. And uh, so I'm I'm a little buzzed on the caffeine. Right on. Well. I should say that we're recording this on uh, December 8th at 8.15 at night, and MJ has uh, just cracked into his one coffee every three to six months. So this would be a, a good podcast, basically. Is what I'm, what I'm <laughs> like my fourth, fourth cup of coffee in the last three days. So Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, uh, good to see you guys. Uh, fortunately, we have to record this, and we have to record a uh, post-mortem of the we're not going to jump into that. We're not going to talk about like the season stuff. Obviously I think we're going to really focus mostly on the game. There's a little bit of Minnesota United news that popped up today, which is really cool. Um, maybe speculate a little bit on the players that we would keep or not keep and just try and wrap this one up fairly quickly. We'll probably spend a little more time next week, maybe doing our end of year awards um, and then talk a little bit more about, we'll have a better idea of what the roster, uh, what the team is retaining uh, on this current roster and where they, where there may be holes or where we're going to need to plug, um, you know, bit pieces in or, or upgrade. So we can talk more about that next week. We have a little more clarity on the actual roster. So, so yeah, that'll be the, the agenda for the day. Um, just want to remind everybody, if you want to join the Patreon, we just, I literally uh, just picked up the beers, uh, the, some of the beer from the hop clouds. Uh, Dave's I know Patreon Heath out stout beer collaboration. I'm actually going to crack into uh, in, into one of those, uh, tonight during the second half of the podcast. So I'll be able to give you an, a, 
in uh, in podcast um, review of that, what I'm assuming is going to be absolutely absolutely delicious beer. So if you're a Patreon uh, right now, um, doing at least three dollars a month. Uh, we're going to get you one of those. I'm going to be sending out an email later this week to confirm uh, addresses and things like that. Um, you can still join. And now if you join at the $6 a month level, we will. I will make sure to get you one of the uh, Heath Out Stout beers. Um, yeah, this has been a really great partnership with Hop Clouds. They've been super awesome. And I really, I think I would like to continue moving forward and maybe you know next year doing a, a, a we had a, Christian and I had originally sat down and, and put together a plan for like three different beers. Um, we only actually got to do one actual beer. He had some other beers, the the doubles, uh, the Monone and Opara that he did right at the beginning of the season. So we were able to get those beers out. But we actually had a plan for sort of uh, a three different beers throughout the season as part of the Patreon um, uh, tier level. So hopefully... You know, God willing, everything goes great with vaccines and, and uh, people are, are up for it. And we can maybe do this again, try it again next year and actually and actually do the thing. So I'm very excited to have this beer actually out into the public. Um, I think it's going to be really delicious. And so, yeah, uh, if you want to join patreon.com slash the Dave's I know uh, to get up, uh, get as part of that. Um, yeah. All right. So let's jump in. Seattle Sounders three, Minnesota United FC two uh yeah i don't know yeah that's that's where we start uh i guess we'll start in the first half as you know as most teams do uh no changes to the lineup did you guys obviously i think we all expected the lineup to be um the same lineup that we ran out against sporting kansas City. Is that you know there was no nothing was weird about that no i thought the broadcast made a decent point that it was at least somewhat noticeable that nothing changed after the short rest but realistically speaking there was no need to change it after the kansas city game and everything we know about adrian he tells us that there was no way he was going to change it unless like finley lost a leg in a bear trap accident or something like that right yeah uh so this game was actually slightly different than the last three games where minnesota came out and we're not just getting uh speed bagged to death they actually you know played fairly well in the first 20 minutes uh, the ninth minute, they forced uh, Seattle's uh, Alexander Roldan uh, to get a yellow card, which I thought like really boded well for Minnesota. Like you forced the yellow card, and he had, to be fair, had had a couple uh, challenges earlier, even before that, where there were borderline yellow card challenges. So it seemed like Minnesota had had a, and Adrian Heath had a had a game plan, and were attacking you know the weak parts, the weak points of the Seattle defense, which we had mentioned uh, on our podcast on. Uh, over the weekend. So it looked really good uh, in the 27th minute. Um, so in the 26th minute, Dane Sinclair makes a save on a, I believe of Rui Diaz uh, just sort of scuffed a ball uh, quick outlet, to Ethan Finley and Ethan Finley gets tackled hard by Shane O'Neill so hard. And this all happened so quickly that like when we are watching the game, you, I didn't actually, you don't actually see the tackle because the ball, like they were still like, the cameras are still on the Minnesota half of the field. Um, they hadn't, they weren't able to switch to the, to Ethan Finley streaking down the, down the field. Shane O'Neill comes in uh, hard studs up tackle gets a yellow card from the referee. Um, you know, the, we talk about things that, you know, plays that change that possibly change the game. Stu Holden definitely thought this was a red card. I thought it was a red card. Obviously I'm, I have my Minnesota United uh, sunglasses on. What do you guys think? Was this a red card? Should Shane O'Neill have been sent off 
um, at the 27th minute? I could have gone either way on this. Um, I, Given the way the rest of the game was refereed, I think this was the correct decision. And even at this point, Ismail Alfeth was pretty clearly trying to let guys play as much as was going to be responsible. Um, this, to me, was about the pinkest card you can imagine. It was late, but not super late. It was high, but not super high. There was a lot of force behind it, but it wasn't violent. So I don't think he necessarily made a mistake calling it a yellow instead of a red, but boy, you've seen less than that given as a red. Especially during the regular season. I think we've seen that that tackle many times during the regular season and nine times out of 10, that's a red card during the regular season. I, I think there may have been a little bit of playoff referee. Uh, the referee did not, uh, what, what I, sorry, I, I always, I keep blanking on his name. Um, the ref. referee. Yeah. Ismail LFF. Yeah. Ismail LFF. Yeah. Um, I don't think LFF wanted to change the, change the game um, so dramatically, but again, I think, I think if you see that, that tackle, yeah, nine times out of 10, that's a red card during the regular season. So MJ. Two things that you've already touched on the, that it was the, the playoffs and a Western conference final at that. And something that we didn't talk about, it was still the first half, the 27th minute. There's a lot of game left to be played for one team to go down to 10 men. And regardless of whether it should have been called or not, I agree with Dan that the El Elf was consistent throughout the rest of the game. There was other fouls we'll get to later that on both sides that that could have been more egregious. And I, I feel that given the the full game in its entirety, you have to say, yeah, this is consistent. Fair point. Uh, again, he does give the yellow card as a spot kick uh, for Minnesota United in a dangerous spot. And lo and behold, uh, Bebelo Reynoso with a beautiful curling free kick to give Minnesota the lead. It, it wasn't as much against the run of play as the Sporting Kansas City. You know, the sport, those first skills against Sporting Kansas City were. Um, Minnesota definitely was not just absorbing punches for 25 minutes. Uh, but it was definitely against the run of play generally. Um, it was absolutely, absolutely beautiful. It was so I, I saw a stat today that Reynoso was involved in all of the last 10 Minnesota United goals, either as the goal scorer, the primary assist, or the secondary assist, the hockey assist. Uh, I think he had two goals, seven primary assists, and then one of one of them was a hockey assist. So, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about the team and what it might look like next year. Um Reynoso, this was Reynoso just coming in in September and playing literally three months, right? And he just gelled immediately with this team. I can't imagine, like, he's going to be, uh, seriously, I think he's definitely a MVP candidate. He should be on the shortlist uh, for the beginning of next year, assuming, you know, obviously he doesn't get hurt or anything. Like, the dude is magic. He really, really is. And I don't know if you guys remember when we started – first talking about Rendoso when the the rumors became more concrete it wasn't just a name that was out there he sort of started like watching his videos on YouTube and okay you know what's he what's he got in the locker what can we expect from this guy and uh he's got a free kick really similar to this uh 
I think it was against Tolaris. It was for sure one of his early games with Boca. And it was the same kind of thing. Free kick from 30, 35 yards out. And the same thing. Pings it off the near post. Absolutely gorgeous free kick. And the interesting thing to me is he's not the first player that we've heard, oh my gosh, like his dead ball stuff is amazing. We heard that about Jan Gregush. We heard that about Darwin Quintero. But this was Minnesota United's first ever goal off a direct free kick in MLS, which I find completely almost impossible to believe. What? Yeah, that is, that's insane. Um, like, that's what they said in the broadcast. Uh, Steve McPherson was said that, that he was pretty sure that was true on Twitter. I have a vague recollection of a Darwin Quintero free kick goal, but uh, the consensus seems right. to be no, that it that in fact, this was the, the Loon's first goal. And in either case, I mean... It's so seldom that you see something that much off of somebody's highlight film. But this, it really was. It was, we saw that he had this in the bag, and then at the best possible time, he was like, oh yeah, no, I I really do have that shot. It wasn't just a fluke. Uh, You couldn't have placed it any better if you'd done it by hand. Right. I'll just have to say that Reynoso, looking towards next year, which I know we're going to get to later in the podcast, not only has he helped Minnesota United this year, obviously will help next year. He is going to help in the offseason as far as recruiting players that want to play with Reynoso, especially on the attacking front. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, if you watch, if you just watch the last four matches of Minnesota United's uh, season and you're like, you are an attacker or, you know, you are, I mean, I, I, I think that legitimately, I think Ethan Finley will probably need to take a pay cut. But if I'm Ethan Finley and I know that I have Reynoso, and I may not play as much as I did this year, but I know if I'm out there and, and Reynoso's out there and like what that dude can do, I might be willing to take a pay cut for a year and a one-year contract may be an option um, to play with that guy again. So very, a very astute point, MJ. So uh, so shortly after that, so do, so uh, Romain Menier uh, picks up a knock, kind of comes off the pitch for a little bit, comes back on. Uh, and then, then just then crumples uh, to the ground, and Hassani Dotson has to come on for Romain Metnir in the 40th minute. Definitely not a change that Minnesota was expecting or or wanted to do, and we'll talk a little about that as we talk about what happens in the second half of this game. But that was a that was a, a very a key moment for this match, I believe. On the on the pro side, Heath is forced to make a sub before the first half, so <laughs> he's forced to use a sub, and we'll see. He still didn't use him properly either so but he did this one was a properly used sub i don't want to hear any of this like right this one was <laughs> um yeah so minnesota goes in uh to the to the half uh with a one nothing lead which you know you told me i, I someone asked me uh someone texted me a friend of mine who's who is a minnesota united fan but not like you know not super into it not as, as much into it as we are and, you know, it was like, what are you, you know, what do you think the chances are for this game? And, and I said, this is like, a, you know, earlier in the afternoon yesterday. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, probably what, one in three, 33%. Was like, but if you had told me that we'd be in the Western Conference final and we'd have a 33% chance of making it to the final in back in March, I would have, I would have taken that in a heartbeat. Right. So, um, but that goal, that goal uh, Minnesota, you know, like, was again, sort of doing that bending, but not breaking, but it, you know, Seattle was taking chances and taking shots, but they weren't anything great. It wasn't like 
what Minnesota gave up in that first half against Sporting Kansas City before they really put the put the pedal to the metal, right? Like they were there were decent chances, but they nothing that you know Sporting Kansas City was like as we mentioned in that podcast uh, over the weekend. Sporting Kansas City just like shanked those balls and like balls that they you know goals that they should have scored. Johnny Russell being a prime example. Seattle wasn't doing that, but they they weren't getting you know they weren't getting great great chances, and and so that gave me a lot of hope going into the second half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you guys, I thought one of you guys was going to say something. Uh, I didn't really tee that. I'll up. say that's on me. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> the only thing I would add is that I felt good, except as far as not so much how many shots on net Seattle was creating because we know what they can do, but more so the pace of the game. And this sort of NBA style of up and down the pitch, you know, lots of turnovers and just going up and down does not suit our number of days rest, not suit our manager's uh, substitution squad rotation habits. And it does not suit our newfound identity of possessing the ball and kind of having some time on the ball to make good decisions. They pressed us pretty hard. Right. Yeah. And uh, Seattle ended with 63% possession um, to Minnesota's uh, 37%. And just going back at the MLS stats, not uh, because, so if you can, you can, if you go to the stats page, you can see the, um, the breakdown of the five minute increments or intervals or whatever, not one single interval did Minnesota win the possession game. (laughs) Seattle won every single five minute interval, which was, uh, um, I, I, that's, I've never, I don't, I haven't seen that from Minnesota. Minnesota will, you know, concede possession a lot, but they'll at least win, you know, four or five different five minute intervals, you know, it's sometimes in like chunks where they sort of like take control of the game for a little bit, but definitely was not the case uh, in this match. So, so yes, yeah, so we come out in the second half, Minnesota again, playing fairly well, uh, keeping things in front of them. Um, Bakai Debasi uh, scores a second goal as, as a loon, a second headed goal. Uh, off of a Reynoso free kick. So Reynoso, again, as I mentioned, um, involved in all the goals for Minnesota United this week. And that put Minnesota United up 2 to nothing, uh in the 67th minutes. What were you guys, what were you guys' like mental states and what were you thinking at this point, right? Like, I know where I was and I was very much of like, let's like fucking defend. Please bring on some defenders. You know, why are we not bringing on defenders right now? Um, where were you guys at? This was the point at which I started to believe it could happen. Um, mm-hmm. I I really didn't love the way this game set up for United as much as I was like trying to be optimistic about it. The first goal was amazing, but I strongly believed and, and tweeted this during the game, 1-0 was never going to win this game. So I knew Minnesota needed a second goal. And as much as the first goal wasn't completely against the run of play, this goal was. Uh, Seattle had completely dominated the the second half to this point. Uh, you know, once once Minnesota had gotten past minute 60, so Seattle had scored more goals between minutes 45 and 60 than any other team in the league. So once we got past 60, it was like, okay, that felt significant. That felt like, uh, you know, maybe we were we were starting to get somewhere. Get the second goal, and at, this was the point that I, I was really buying in, that, you know, we can really do this. We've just got to hold out. And, and I was with you. I really hoped this would be the point that, Keith changed tactics and made a bunch of really timely subs. And uh, there were a bunch of really timely subs, but it wasn't Keith that made him. It was Brian Spencer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. My thoughts were 
watching the Debasi goal, is this a replay from last week? Now I know well, one was a corner, one was off a free kick, but you watch the, the movement of the stack and we do not do very, I don't want to say deceptive. We kind of do a, a very rotational circular kind of stack that we run off of set pieces. And it's not this sort of clever, you know, send this person one way, send this person another way. Uh, pretty run of the mill, but the bossy scores on both of them. And Reynoso plays, places that ball perfectly. And I agree, Dan, this is, this is where I started to get, my hopes went from, yeah, Seattle's going to win this thing anyway, to you might have a chance. Right. So, yeah, speaking of those subs or aforementioned lack of subs, actually, Kai Kamara comes on for Ethan Finley, uh, burning our second substitution slots. Um, you know, and, and we'll get to the we'll get to the uh, quotes uh, after the game. But that was a even even when that substitution was made, I, I just I was racking my brain about why the fuck that substitution was made. I get I get it in theory. Um having a hold up uh hold up forward uh that can you can get the ball to they can uh, create time and space and and you know hopefully get down to the corner and and keep the ball away from the defenders uh minnesota had done nothing like literally nothing to that point to indicate that they were going to be able to regain possession of the ball (laughs) right so i was just I, i it blew my mind that that this was the change that they made and it wasn't bringing on uh, uh, Marlon Harrison or Ja'Cory Hayes or even bringing in uh, Coleman or Aha as a, another defender. And then uh, Will Bruin comes on to the pitch and literally with, uh, I believe his second touch of the game, he makes it uh, two to one uh, with a, a, a brilliant goal. 14 minutes later, we, literally even at this point, so it's like, okay, we can just hold on, we can hold on, we can hold on. Raul Diaz uh, makes it 2-2. And at that point, I think at this point, I was watching the game. And I, I, I was like, there's no way we're going to win this game. Uh, I know it's 2-2. I know we have it. You know, there's potentially extra time. Either Seattle's going to score a goal or they're going to score a goal in extra time. I was like, there's no way this game's getting to penalties. Um, Minnesota maybe has a chance if they just, if they pull something out of their ass. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, five minutes after that Raul Ruiz Diaz goal, uh, a terrible, terrible, and both, let's say, both of those goals were um, terrible uh, defending uh, off of corners, the, the, that goal, and then the Gustav Svensson goal make it 3-2 for uh, Seattle. Um, he uses his his third and final substitution slot, brings on Aaron Schoenfeld uh, for Robin Lude, um, literally seconds before the referee blows the whistle. So that was cool. So he used all three, three substitution slots. But, uh, yeah, so... I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on, on those three Seattle goals? I mean, I, it, it just watching the rest of that, that, that second half, it, it looked like that was coming. Uh, reading some of the stuff from uh, the MLSoccer.com today, you know, the coaches on the sideline were telling Schmetzer, you know, we're going to get this. We're going to get these goals. Uh, and Seattle is a playoff tested veteran team. They've been, they've been through this. They've been through this ringer many times. Uh, I believe in 2015 they were they were knocked out by FC Dallas in the semifinals in sort of tr- in kind of heartbreaking fashion, and they've been back to the um, they've been back to the playoffs every year since, right? The, they, this is a team that's never missed the playoffs, but they've been made they've made deep runs pretty much every year since, right? This team is is they have the the DNA of of a playoff team, and I think that is maybe 
maybe that's the big difference between Seattle and Minnesota. I definitely think experience definitely helps, but it's, it's not the only thing. And I would say on those three goals, without breaking them down in my usual dragon fire breathing manner, the first two were totally on our defense that were out of position. And that third goal by uh, Gustav, uh, was it Svensson? Svensson, yeah. Debasi was marking him really, really tight. And, you know, did he jump with, with him to, to get the elevation he needed to try to get a, a head on that ball? No, but there's not much our defense or Dame St. Clair could have done that third one. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in reflecting on this game is there were five goals in it, and not a single one of them could you have said the keeper should have done better on. Right. There were there yeah. were zero goalkeeping errors in that game. All five were cut and dried. Like, yep, that's a that's a goal. The when Will Bruin scored that goal, I like. I knew Seattle had a good goal in them. Their offense is too potent. Rui Diaz and Morris are so active. And one thing, one thing that I think is it, Minnesota should take a lesson from, particularly with those two guys, is they both missed good chances and neither of them hung their head. At no point did you see either of those guys do anything but resolve to score that much harder. And they just kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. So I, I knew Seattle had one good goal in them. So when Bruin scored the scruff goal, ball hits him, it hit Boxall, it pops up in the air, it falls to Bruin. Not a lot anybody can do about that. Yeah. Like I knew that we were, I knew that we were going to be in trouble because that's a scruff goal. One good goal was coming, and then I, I was telling David before we got on the pod, uh, or rather before we started recording, that. Uh, once Seattle scored the second goal, to me, the game was already over. Minnesota had, at that point, completely lost the plot going forward. They didn't have a plan to get out of their own end. They weren't retaining the ball. And so it was really just a question of, is Seattle going to score their goal here before the end of the game, or is it going to be in stoppage time? Um, honestly, or not in stoppage time, rather, in extra time. Honestly, I think if they had scored once in extra time, they might have scored twice, and Minnesota would have looked all the worse for it so yeah it like Seattle played this entire second half running downhill uh like once that second goal went in once they got Smith and Leardom out on the wings to give them a little bit of extra width they were the onslaught was just ceaseless and they they are too talented a team to get that many chances and not score so I, I hate to say that it felt inevitable because that's such a storyline word, but at the end of the day, like it really did feel inevitable. Especially in that second half. Like, I don't honestly th- think it felt that way. Once I get that first goal, right. I think once they get that goal in the 75th minute, um, it felt like it was just, yeah, there was that they were, if nothing else, they were going to tie the game up and we would be playing extra time and maybe going to penalties and, and maybe miss, maybe Minnesota can hold on, can hold on. But again, as soon as they start score that second goal, it's like, well, there's plenty of time for them to score a, a game winner here, and of course, that is exactly what they did. So, um, yeah. Anyways, so let's let's we we can break down, uh, and I think 
you know, mentioning running downhill and, and how tired Minnesota was, we had some, we have some interesting, interesting quotes from the manager and um, probably won't want to spend a little bit of time discussing that. So let's, let's quickly break down our Freddie Adus for the game. Um, let's start with Minnesota. Uh, and um, let's start with Dan. Uh, who do you got for your Freddie Adus? My Freddie Adus are Reynoso. This is, will shock you. Um, once again, this was another game where it felt like every good thing happened from him in one way or another. Um, the one small exceptional I'll point out was some decent interplay between Gregush and Molino that led to the foul that led to the free kick that led to Debassi's goal. Um, but Seattle clearly had a plan. They, they were determined to take Reynoso out and he was not particularly effective from, uh, from open play. And if you're a star in this league, teams will game plan against you. There is even on the best teams, there is a marked difference between great players and their teammates. And I thought it was hugely to Reynoso's credit that Seattle game plan to stop him in a lot of ways they did. And at the end of it, he still had a goal and an assist. Yeah, they both came off set pieces, but he did what he needed to do to have an impact. Uh, My shitty Freddie Adu uh, was Chase Gasper. Um, Honestly, Gasper played pretty well in the first half. Uh, I was I was heartened. There was a chance he wasn't going to play because of the gash on his knee. Uh, but he, even and I we won't belabor this because I know we're going to get into it here in a second. Even though the team as a whole fatigued hugely over the ninety, Gasper seemed to fatigue the worst. Um, he was consistently a step late. He was reaching on guys. Um, I have no doubt he was giving it every ounce of strength he had, but he just ran out of gas early and probably should have given up a penalty. <laughs> yeah uh we didn't even really talk about that at all uh mj uh, i know you had gasper as your shitty freddy do you want to talk a little bit more about that penalty that was not given sure to me this goes back to the early yellow cards on alfred on and even more so on shin o'neill this is completely consistent with El- lfaf's uh calling of the game on like yeah this is too much of a game changer western conference finals yes Normally, this is a foul in the box, but he did the ways that a lot of reps escape out of these troubled things. Michael Boxall had a had a less egregious foul earlier on, earlier up in the pitch in the play, and he calls that one. And I have no problems with, with especially after not getting the red card on Shane O'Neill, I have no problems with that call. Right on. But Gasper needs to know where he is. And what was impressive to me is Roman Metinair, who often loses track of, of people running behind him or overlapping runs, he dropped back more tonight. He didn't try to challenge up the up the pitch or man marks when he knew people were probably going to be <laughs> one, an Ethan Finley might come on and be able to mark the person he was on. And someone probably is speaking to someone deeper into the attacking area. Chase Gasper still gets people running behind him and he is clueless that they are there. And so then that puts Ozzy Alonso and uh, Dibake in or Dibasi in, in, in more of a bind because now they have to figure out, wait a minute, this is normally Gasper's area of the pitch for his like zonal marking. What are we going to do? My good Freddie Adu goes to Ozzy Alonso for a lot of those reasons of having to cover for Gasper and just being a defensive, uh, I don't know, just 
he was so solid defensively for most of this game. And coming back to Seattle, where he's played so much, you know, way before Alex Rodan got his card, he let them know what's up on Jovan Jones. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, going back to Gasper, I, I, he, I think he either needs to get better offensively or get better defensively. I think he needs to pick one. I think he's just good enough to get himself in trouble offensively and just good enough to get himself in trouble defensively. So honestly, I, I, I'm, I, I, I'm still a Gasper fan. I think he still can be, especially considering he's a domestic, uh, you know, potentially a U.S. international uh, player. Um, I still think he has value, but it would not, I would not be surprised if Minnesota um, goes after a, you know, obviously Ikepara, hopefully, hopefully Ikepara comes, comes back and we, and we learn more about what happened with Ikepara, um, but maybe even still goes after a center back and can, and pushes Debasi to that left back spot and, and, or, or at least makes that a more of a competition. I guess for, guess for what have been my, I, at the very last second threw in Molino and Grey Goose just because they were um, outside of that sort of that one little Grey Goose moment. They were both pretty much transparent in this game. Um, I don't remember Stu Holden really calling Molino's name other than Molino giving the ball away in midfield, um, trying to dribble um, through four players and just, you know, completely dribbling the ball away for a guy who has been just so red hot to just be suddenly so cold was, um, you know, and, and probably the biggest game that Kevin Molino has ever played is, uh, um, you know, th- that's not great. And then I agree with you, Dan. I think Babelo, Seattle definitely tried to, to stop Babelo and they could do nothing to do that. So, which is, is a good sign going forward for, for this team and for what Minnesota is trying to do. So. Yeah. I, I think your point on Molino is, is well taken. And I think it's a little bit of an example of something we touched on last week uh, with Eric Grady's question. So he had asked if I was sorry for uh, hating on Kevin Molino. And I, I am not, no, I'm not sorry. And, and this game is a great example of it because I think what we were seeing with Molino's clinical finishing was just that was him. His movement was good. His, Work with Reynoso is incredible. I don't want to to try to pretend that it's not, but in a lot of ways, Seattle almost dared Kevin Molino to make a bigger impact in this game. They yeah. really took Reynoso out, but they were double and triple teaming him, which left somebody open in the midfield. And what we saw instead of Molino stepping up and taking over was Molino completely fading into the background. Yeah. All right, let's jump to Seattle really quick. Um, uh, MJ, uh, both you and Dan again have the same shitty, uh, shitty Friday do versus Seattle. Let's start with you, MJ. Who do you who do you have for your for your good Friday? Good Friday. Let me just say, to be fair, I was either going to pick the one I picked, or I was going to pick the one you picked. So <laughs> we're going to double up on on shitty yellow cards either way. That's fair. Uh, my good Friday do on Seattle goes to Raul Ruiz Diaz. He could have had four goals in this game, and hats off to Seattle for having the mentality and Rui Diaz was like, ah, don't didn't score that time. Well, we'll try it again. Oh, didn't score that time. We'll try it again. Hit a post, whatever. Uh, he had a lot of chances and they're obviously it's a team sport. You can credit a lot of attacking players for getting Rui Diaz the ball in those places that he got them, but he was a nightmare for us. And then on the worst side, I have uh, Alex Rodan. 
uh, I thought Leardom should have started. Schmetzer obviously knows his players better than I do. Had Roldan soak up a few minutes and put Leardom on late in the game to destroy us late. So whatever. Yeah. So uh, sticking on uh, Alex Roldan, he gave up the foul uh, that Reynoso turned into Debassi's goal. So that's obviously not great. Um, just oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, uh, j- no worries. I just didn't look all that composed. Uh, and I think probably the biggest indictment of his game was exactly what MJ said, which is that when Kevin Leardom came on, Seattle instantly looked a lot more dangerous. So I don't know if that's um, he was making good overlapping runs. I suspect he was just losing a little bit of the width that the team needed. And that's really Leardom's specialty. Uh, my good Freddie Adu was Nico Ladero. Uh, again, in our weekend pod, I mentioned that in some ways, Nico Ladero is the player that you hope Reynoso becomes. And I think in this game, we really saw that. Everything everything good Seattle was doing, Legero did somehow. I mean, he he was putting in great crosses on, on all of these corners. Every ball he was touching seemed to be in a dangerous position. And and once again, he didn't get frustrated. You know, he would make a great pass and Rui Diaz would fluff the shot or Morris would go off a post or the things wouldn't work out. He never hung his head. He just kept hitting. And yep, it took until the the last few minutes, but all of a sudden those things hit and and started to actually go in for once. And that, that to me is a credit to him sticking with it and knowing what the game plan is and trusting his teammates. So that's, I, I was just, I don't watch a ton of Seattle games because West coast and I do need to sleep um, because right. getting old sucks, yeah. but I was, I was incredibly impressed with, with Logero and his ability to control that game. Yeah, hundred percent. I think he would be if 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 Reynoso turns into Nico Ladero, um, which you know, just based on you know the sample, the small what twelve game sample size we have, he might be Nico Ladero next year. Um, I think that'd be fucking amazing. Uh, I went with Will Bruin. Um, you know, you you guys were correct. Obviously, Seattle was generating a lot of shots. They weren't really generating outside of the. The Rui Diaz uh, foul on Michael Boxel, where he got a he had you know had a run on Dane St. Clair. They didn't really generate much in terms of good chances, um, in spite of controlling the ball, in spite of controlling the game, until Will, Will Bruin came on and just kind of fucked shit up. And um, so, and he obviously scores the scores that first goal. And I think, you know, to quote our, our favorite coach Adrian Heath, goals change games. And Seattle just needed to get that first goal. And once they got that first goal, the floodgates open. So I gave it to Will Bruin for my, uh, my good friend. Do. Shane O'Neill uh, should have been a red card, should have been sent off. So fuck you, Shane O'Neill. You were, you were a shitty player in Seattle. So, uh, all right. So that takes us through the game. Let's, let's, let's talk very, you know, let's talk quickly. I don't want to say very quickly because I think we should, I think there's some valid concern points and stuff in here um, about Adrian Heath. Uh, as everybody who listens to the podcast knows, this is, uh, you know, we've been driving the Heath out train. I've been driving the Heath out train for nigh on four years now, <laughs> almost since they hired him, uh, I think. So almost four, four years, exactly. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been an up and down. I think, um, we're, I'm going to read a couple of Heath quotes, but I just want to throw a couple of things out there beforehand. I, I think Adrian Heath had a decent game plan for this game, considering the, the rest, you know, the, the lack of rest that they had compared to Seattle. Um, 
and the problem, and, and it has been the problem all year long. It's been the problem that he that he's always had, and we just didn't realize it the first two years because they were always out of games in the first twenty five minutes, right? The the dude he has no idea how to how to uh, change in game, how to adjust, and how to you know he has his game plan and and that's it. And if it works, it works great. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and we're fucked. And there's no way that this team can change. And which is, I don't think true. I think this team has this year. This team had the players to to adjust mid game what they needed to do, and and they had the players in this game to to bunker down. And yeah, you're it's you're still going to get some of the same um, some of the same issues of basically Minnesota just conceded possession and let. Seattle fire shots at them there's there's ways that they could have they could have done something with that there's no way they, this team was doing anything differently the I'll just read the quotes so there's there's like basically like a paragraph of Heath quotes and then a, a Brian Schmetzer quote so Heath quote says I said to you guys before I was a bit concerned about the lack of rest that we've had I thought that was pretty apparent this evening I can't fault the guys for their effort what they've done this year has been remarkable because I know what we've been through internally but late on, we're sort of, sort of running empty a little bit. And obviously, when you do that, you concede space. And suddenly, they've got extra bodies in the box. You leave yourself vulnerable. Unfortunately, that's what happened. Uh, and then he goes on a little bit later. Because we were so tired, we didn't have enough control possession. So we never really gave, gave ourselves a little bit of respite. We continually would clear it. And then, then they'd bring it forward again. I just thought that it was a lack of energy from us at the end. And that was to be understandable. I sensed it in training the last couple of days that we've had a lot of physical and mental emotional games the last few weeks. Maybe it's caught up with us, but as I say, I can't fault the players, their energy this year, their desire for us to do well has been fantastic. So in that quote, he faults the players for not having energy and then says he can't fault the players for, for not, you know, not having energy or whatever. Um, Which again, it's, this is Adrian Heath in a in a goddamn fucking nutshell. Um, but I think the most damning quote is not from Adrian Heath. It's not from uh, Ethan Finley, who was the guy, only uh, player who was made available to the media after the game. It's from Brian Schmetzer after the game, where he said, I don't think tactically Minnesota surprised us with anything. I think in the grand scheme of things, you can look at how, how, how did Minnesota beat Sporting Kansas City. They took their chances, and I think tonight they took the few chances they had, and certainly put us under immense pressure. That is a, I think, a particularly damning quote of, of Adrian Heath and, and Minnesota United's uh, coaching staff and coaching philosophy. So I'll let you guys react to that. I, I'm sure I'll have more words, but um, Dan, do you want, you want to start? Yeah, for sure. So I think, so in our preview of this game, I suggested that Minnesota United should play conservatively, sit back a little bit, um, fullback shouldn't get pressed up too high. And I think we saw Minnesota do that. I think very clearly we saw a focus on not getting beaten on the counter, not giving opportunities down the wing. Um, how successful was that? You know, sometimes good, sometimes a little bit less so. But that was clearly what this team was trying to do. And for a lot of the game, they did it pretty effectively. I mean, objectively, they did it effectively enough. The mistake I made, and I think it's the exact same mistake that Heath made, is that unlike the way this team was built for the bunker encounter that we saw at the MLS's back tournament, this team can't launch out quite as well. They they uh, they need a little bit more space to get their passing connected, um, 
and they really do need four or five, six bodies moving into the attack. Now, once they get that and they get their spacing, they're incredibly lethal. This is exactly what we saw against Kansas City. But if you're only going into that attack with four, it's too easy to cut off the lanes. And so, like, we can talk about things like subs and that have been repeated issues for Heat. And I think that was part of the reason that this game was lost, was an inability to rotate the squad to figure out how to, to measure minutes better, et cetera. And I think, honestly, if we're being a little bit generous, Metnair's injury was part of that. I think oh, sure. yeah. in a in a different version of this game, he stays fully healthy. Dotson does come on because we know he trusts him a little bit more, uh, et cetera. But I think unique to this game, there was a tactical mistake uh, in addition to the ongoing mistakes of I don't know how to sub and I can't change tactics mid-game. But I think as I think the plan Heath laid out was executed by the players at damn near 100%. And so the fact that it wasn't good enough to win, I think that does sit on his doorstep a little bit. Now, he can't make Chase Gasper actually cover Rel Ruiz Diaz. So, you know, a grain of salt was saying that, that this failure rests on his doorstep. But there were serious tactical issues in this game, and they didn't show up in minute one or minute five, but they just kept building up until minute 80 on. It was just an abject shooting gallery. Yeah. MJ? To go back to something you said in an earlier portion of our pod, there would have been around 60 to the 75th minute would have had a perfect time to sub on a Brent Coleman, a, a shutdown defender, a, a, a Jose Aja, someone more defensively minded that with fresh legs to help absorb this pressure to something that I think Dan alluded to is you, you could also go the other direction and try to sub on attacking players again, younger legs that could help possess the ball further up the field. Neither of those things happen. So the last thing I'll say is to go on a very short editorial on the, the issues of literalism and just understanding that when Keith is saying this up, I don't like the way he talks to the press and I don't like the fans, but, or the, I don't like the way he talks to the fans, but <laughs> We, we, we know I hate all the fans of Minnesota United too, just <laughs> Twitter. Uh, but we, even before the pandemic, culturally, we've been shifting away from talking in person, emphasizing tone of voice and nonverbals, body language, and into a very much digital space. But when Heath is getting interviewed, he's not rereading his text and, you know, editing it before he set does send and he's not have somebody in in the front office that's you know looking at his his email but to proofread it for for spelling errors like he responds very emotionally and, and very whatever is at the top of his mind comes out so when he had, says things like you know i don't make excuses we have to do a little bit of interpreting of saying he's not saying i don't make excuses or you know i don't make excuses he's saying you know, I don't like to make excuses. And we have to do that translation for him. We have to give him a little bit of a doubt. And so when he's saying things that are, yes, Texas, I, I get what you're saying. It's very frustrating. He's throwing the players under the bus. And then he's like saying, I have no fault with the players. Like they did, they played their hearts out. <laughs> I think we have to 
give him a little bit of the doubt that he's responding to things as they're coming to his brain. He's not Barack Obama. He hasn't been to Toastmasters. Lord knows I haven't been to Toastmasters. Barack Obama like punched himself in the dick earlier this week too. So let's, uh, you know, or last week. So listen, this is an exact quote from him. But, you know, I think that the extra days they had was a huge advantage. And I'm glad this I mentioned this before the game to the press because it's not an excuse. But late on, we were sort of running on empty a little bit. And obviously, we knew that you can see. He literally says, I'm not making this is not an excuse. Here's the excuse. He, it's in, in you can't. You can't you can't have been in the press and in the limelight and in talking to press people for as long as Adrian Heath has. Right. The dude's fucking, I think, 64, 65 years old and and not know how to talk to the press, right? It, it's different if it's like, all of a sudden, MJ, you are in charge of Minnesota United. You play a game. Now you have to go talk to the press, right? <laughs> this, guy, this guy's been doing it. He's been doing it here in the U.S. for over over a decade, right? He's, he's been, you know, he's been a professional footballer in some capacity, you know, for, fuck, 40 40 plus years, right? 50 years going on, maybe uh, almost at this point. Um, so whether he decides to take advantage of his, the media training or whatever that the team may or may not offer to, to players and coaches, I, I'm sure he probably doesn't because, you know, again, the guy's been involved in the game for a long fucking time, longer than any of us have been alive. He, he knows what he's doing and yes, he's emotional. I think, yes, that a lot of people appreciate that and enjoy that. And I think there is a, there's an endearing quality about that. He still just, he knows what he's saying when he says the shit that he's saying, right? It's not, this is not me or you. I don't think he does. Being, uh, okay. So I'll put it this way. Inserting little parentheticals, like I don't like to make excuses or not that I'm making excuses. is a very natural thing to say in a ton of, given situations and then to go and make an excuse after that is also a very human you know natural thing to say I, we have the benefit of being able to read his text you know with all of his statements in front of us and we can, can compare them and they look as contradictory as fuck but in the in the moment he's not able to do that he's not seeing how contradictory he is i don't think he's aware of that i i would argue that a lot of this is like when someone ranted at me and said, you know what I think the worst thing is? And I was like, what? When someone has the right of way and a four-way stop and they don't take it. Now, was this person saying this was the worst thing ever? Like worse than world hunger? This, this was, you know, worse than, or, and I even countered as like, you know what I think is the worst? is when people don't have the right of way and they take it. Now, obviously this person was assuming a whole bunch of other things before making that statement. He was assuming that, you know what, most people don't take the right away when they have it or what have you. They, they, he assumed that people were following laws. There's so much context regarding Heath's statements in the press. And I think that's lost on a lot of us. We don't really hear the whole interview and things get cl clipped out of context. And in this case, he looks really, really contradictory. I don't think he's aware of it. He's All a right. dick, but I don't think he's aware of that he's contradicting. I'm going to vehemently disagree with you on that. <laughs> I think the dude knows exactly what he's doing, exactly what he's saying. But I, 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 take, I, I take your point, and I know that, yeah, I don't even remember half the shit I tweet. So I might tweet something 
completely contradictory as, as you as you allude to mj um I feel like I don't generally, but I'm sure that something gets through that, you know, is a completely different statement from what I, you know, I tweeted a year ago or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I just, I find it hard to believe that someone who's, who literally this has been their job for 45 years um, uh, doesn't take some of that stuff into consideration. And, and if he doesn't, I don't think that is a, a a good selling point. I think that's actually a demerit on on the way that he. Oh, I'll agree there. Everything. So, anyways, um, I I don't want to belabor the point. I'm sure I, I will have plenty of plenty more heat out bullshit. I will point out one thing, right? Um, the Loons have reached at least the semifinals of three of the last four knockout tournaments that they've been in. They reached the finals of the Open Cup last year. Obviously, they got knocked out by the LA Galaxy in the playoffs. They reached this uh, semifinals of the MLS's back tournament and the semifinals, uh, ostensibly, of the MLS Cup. So I don't think we're – I don't think we're getting rid of Heath anytime soon. I think they're – and actually, I've been formulating some thoughts, and maybe maybe I'll throw them into the sub stack or whatever, of, like, why I think Heath – I mean, I think there's many reasons why Heath – like, why we've reached basically the pinnacle of what we can do with Heath. And honestly, I think Heath – and one thing I will, before I let you guys uh, give you your last thoughts, and I was saying I was saying this to uh, to, to a buddy of mine um, last night as well, is that Heath has Heath as the technical director has I want to say with the exception of Amaria, uh, and we don't I, I'm not counting the USL guys, pretty much nailed almost every transfer that he's been responsible for. When you look back about the, and I guess maybe Raheem Edwards is the one, like the one sort of like big uh, shining, you know, billboard of like what the fuck was going on here. Um, but especially in terms of the international transfers, uh, Heath and Mark Watson have have pretty much nailed everything and, and brought in good players at, at important positions for Minnesota United. So I almost am of the belief that, God, we need to maybe like just kick Heath up to the technical director position and hire somebody who actually understands tactics and understands how to uh, manage in game. And that might be, so that's where I'll leave it at that. And I'm sure, I'm sure we have, we have a whole off season guys to talk about, you know, how we want to draw in quarter Heath. And if I would hold his hand, taking him to the rope store, even in the COVID times, I probably would, I would probably like, um, you know, do whatever he needs. I would, I would carry him. To the rope store if if you know if need be um so yeah so i'll leave it at that but i'll give you guys i'll give both you guys the the uh the last words on on this on this bit yeah i i don't want to belabor the point on uh on heath as technical director versus heath as coach uh not because i i don't think it's worth talking about because i think we can do an entire damn episode on it and we do have a long off season ahead of us um because i yeah i think that's a really interesting distinction i think what we saw in this game and post game here is the one the one sort of fly i'll put in the ointment here which is i don't think he was totally wrong with this complaint like we're talking about things like squad rotation and subs and those are really important but they're more important when your team is playing on two days fewer rest and i think if this had been flip-flopped if minnesota had played the early game and seattle was the one that had had their game moved I don't know that this game evolves the exact same way. And that's a really interesting 
it's it is at least a conversation that's worth having. Um, Minnesota got a huge benefit uh, from playing from the national audience and playing so well. Like that's that's awesome. It was great for the franchise long term. It was a good testament to to how MLS has improved. I think um, I think MLS probably saw more of that benefit than Minnesota United did. But I think like so often my complaints with Heath are that he he latches onto things that are not uniquely detrimental to the team. Like, well, you know, these, these same day flights, they're killing us. Like, yeah, yeah, man, they're killing everybody. That's how it works. Nobody likes these. Nobody's playing better because of the same day flights. But in this case, it actually is a unique harm that the team suffered. So I do have to give him the tiniest bit of credit because he isn't totally wrong. I don't know that it completely changes the outcome if Minnesota has more rest than Seattle. But the game definitely goes a little bit differently than it did. And maybe, just maybe, Minnesota wins 2-1. That's that's a fair point. I, and yes, especially especially traveling um, over, I think it's highly under uh, underappreciated that jet lag that you get when you're traveling um, over across multiple time zones, right? Most countries don't deal with this when you're when you're traveling to to play a game, right? You're you're generally within the same time zone, right? So it's not like you're right. traveling across an entire fucking con- you know, basically entire continent. Um, so I think there's that is a very valid concern as well. So um, and I don't again, I don't think he's necessarily wrong when he brings it up, but it's 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 that it's consistently a problem. Anyways, MJ, you have the last word on on Adrian Heath here before oh we we do a question, uh, and then we'll take a break. Here's my thing with Heath. He's good at certain things. And if this season and our knockout tournament performance is anything, he does deserve some credit, maybe more credit than I've given him in the past. There are things about probably the way he manages uh, practice or training. And there's probably is some things that are tactical that he does that are valid. My point is to with all these things that he's not good at dealing with the press, uh, in-game substitutions or in-game changing of tactics, we need a assistant coach that can complement him and have strengths in those areas. And maybe that that's Ian Fuller, maybe that's Sean McCauley. The other half of that equation is Keith needs to listen to them. And we, I'm not privy. I'm not on the sideline. I don't, hear the conversations i don't know what goes on there if people are suggesting put this guy in at this time and he's not taking it but this is a this is a problem that minister united needs to solve on the field yeah all right what's uh i'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about uh adrian heath and, and the squad over the course of the off season so we'll save it for that uh quick question from christian uh this is a question for the pod it feels like there was three sections of the match uh, before Minnesota found a foothold, scoring and maintaining momentum, and then losing the steam. When did the third section really begin, and what could Minnesota United have done differently to finish out the game strong? So, uh, MJ, let's start with you. When Schmetzer subbed on his subs, to me that was a huge like change of momentum. In the, bringing on Leardam, uh, bringing on Smith, uh, Will, Will Bruin, like these were great subs, right? And Dan alluded to this earlier. That was in the in the seventieth minute, basically. Yeah, and I thought for seventy minutes we played a damn good game. 
and it did look like we had run out of ideas going forward. It was kind of like kick it deep and, and try to melt the clock, which you never should start doing in the 70th minute or the 60th minute. That should be an 80 minute strategy and you should be trying to possess and interplay a little bit more, um, score maybe a third goal. But yeah, so, so that 70th minute was, was, was key. As far as what we could have done differently to finish the game out strong, have a little bit more spatial defensive awareness looking away from the ball, which is always hard when you're tired, but that's something we need to get better at. A commitment to possess, which I've already talked about, and making substitutions that help facilitate both of those things. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I've also got the 70th minute as the, the point the game changed. Seattle found their width. Me, me too. Um, <laughs> we'll say, like, literally the 70th minute, like, as soon as DeBossi scores that goal, I think, honestly, like, that is when Minnesota needs to kick it into um, protect mode. So, yeah. And I think, it, you know, as much as we all hate the cliche, 2 0 is the most dangerous lead in sports. No, it's not. Um, it really was true in this game that Seattle Seattle felt like they were going to score. They felt like the goal was coming, and then all of a sudden they were behind two goals. And you could see their intensity ratchet up. But I think part and parcel of that is getting their width back, really starting to cross the ball, um, which we know they're so dangerous at doing, and really making Minnesota United run. Uh, I think that's, that's part of what tuckered Minnesota out so quickly was they were constantly having to shift back and forth. So the subs I would have made, uh, and, and MJ's not wrong here. Bunkering for 20 minutes is a terrible idea. The flip side of that is it's kind of what Minnesota ended up doing anyway. And so if they had changed the personnel to be a little bit more suited to doing that, they may have fared a little bit better. But in any case, I would have subbed out Molino and out Lude, probably for Hairston and Hayes, two players that are a little bit more adept at holding the ball, they're a little bit shiftier than than Lude is, a little less likely to dribble into traffic than Molino is, just to try to start buying little bits of time and maybe hoping that there's some interplay with Kamara there. Um, one name I will throw out here, I would have loved to have seen Raheem Edwards in this game. And he wasn't even in the 18. So yeah. that's, I, I know we're moving away from Heath, but something we'll need to talk about in this offseason, and one of his weaknesses as a coach, is when he chooses to freeze out a player, they are Cro-Magnon frozen to the extent that they will not be found until archaeologists show up. We, uh, we, got, we, got to, we got to spend a part of a podcast discussing that, because that is that is one of the most insane traits that Adrian Heath has, and I, just, I do not understand how or why but yes uh, Raheem Edwards would have been fucking brilliant in this game I I would be really curious to know Raheem Edwards is a is an energetic outspoken guy I can see him butting heads with Heath if this were the first time that would have happened I would be I think far more likely to say huh I wonder if he just kind of rubbed Heath wrong but the fact that this is now what probably the fourth or fifth player we've seen this happen with no this is an Adrian Heath thing yeah yeah uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, I agree. Obviously, the 70th minute, I think that was that was the key as soon as DeBossi scores that goal. Um, I, I agree, Dan, with the the specific substitutes. I, I would even I would even say bringing in again one of those uh, of Aha or Coleman to sort of help out with the the back line. I'm not sure who you replace there. Um, I don't think you bring out take out Grey Goose or um, or Ozzy Alonso, but I I could definitely see 
some sort of uh, situation where you try to like have a f- uh, you know five across the back, and definitely taking out Molino and Lude. I think Minnesota and it's hard to understand. It's hard to to get what they were trying to do. I think if you were Minnesota, if I was if I was the manager of of this team, my goal being like we're gonna we need to win this game in the ninety. We can't afford to go to extra time. We definitely can't afford to go to penalties. We need to win this game in the 90. And you score that second goal, you're up two to nothing. That is like the, you are like, that's, I think the outside of the the game against, you know, the last match against Sporting Kansas City where you score three goals, um, you know, score those two goals like rapidly right back, you know, pretty much back to back and score that third goal. Um, outside of something like, like weird like that happening, Two nothing in the sixty, you know, in the sixty seventh minute is the best you could possibly expect from this match. And then you need to, you need to figure it out, and you need to get to the point of winning the game. And what Adrian Heath's response to that was was to bring in Kai Kamara when the team has been, and Dan, to your point from earlier, that goal, the Debussy goal, was completely against the run of play. Like Seattle had been controlling the game pretty much the entire second half your response to that is to bring in a guy who's on an Island by himself up, up, up top with like, with nobody just like being able to get the ball out of our, our half of the pitch. Um, again, just goes to show, I think the lack of uh, in-game comprehension that Adrian Heath has, but so I think that's, that's what we could have done. Obviously would have been to just literally like two, nothing. We need to fucking suck it up and we're going to, we're going to weather the storm. We're going to get through here. Obviously we, I don't think they want to, bunker for 25 minutes but clearly that was what they were going to need to do and we're not able to do so um that's a good question christian thank you so much for for asking that uh let's take a quick break when we come back we'll discuss the roster what might happen for some of the players who are out of contract and uh a a name that just dropped uh, this evening that may be coming to minnesota united sooner rather than later uh we'll take a break we'll be right back you won't me that type of dude and I want to be who you like me to but we both know I can't do nothing at all oh, yeah. alright we're back pouring the Heath out stout into the glass my dark suds Nessie glass if you uh been a fan of the team, you may may have one of these glasses. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's taste this beer. Oh, it smells smells really good. It's a really nice dark color. It is. Oh man, that's really fucking good. <laughs> How's the Serrano pepper part? It's it it's good. It's it's got a it's enough of a kick where you can you can taste a little bit of it, but it's not overpowering. Um, which is oh yeah, that's a that's a. He's going back for a second round, folks. So. That's a really good beer, and apparently, so when uh, Christian dropped this off the other day, um, he mentioned he's like, yeah, I had a, I had to crack one to make sure the carbonation was good. This is a couple days ago, and he's like, and I you know. He had it in the bottles, cracked one, uh, uh, started drinking it. He's like, by the time I got done, I was like, I was pretty fucked up. <laughs> Just forgot it was 90% alcohol. So, uh, again, if you want to get on that Heath Out Stout, 
um, Dave's I know or patreon.com slash Dave's I know. So, uh, all right, let's talk about some other uh, Minnesota United news. Obviously, there's not a ton after losing the match uh, yesterday um, or if you're listening to this on Monday. But team has to make some uh, roster decisions in the next, uh, well, I guess in the next basically like 12 to less than 24 hours. Um, I think they have to make them by the end of the night tonight, actually. Um, the Dan, as you alluded to here in the, in the document, MLS contracts are really, we, we don't also know, know the details on, on a lot of these things. Yeah, it's super annoying. So if you're familiar with Major League Baseball or NHL or I think NFL, all of these, the contract details are public. And so you can see really clearly who has a player option, who has a team option. You can start to sort of make some roster decisions for yourself and, and start mapping this out. None of that exists in MLS. So, for example, uh, we know Roman Metinier is under contract for next year because he signed a contract this year for multiple years. Beyond that, it could be for two years. It could be for 20 years. We just straight up don't know. Right. So a, a lot of the uh, a lot of what you'll hear over the next really until the uh, the expansion draft on the 13th is when. And sorry, that's January 13th. Uh, that's really when you'll start to hear, okay, so-and-so is protected. So-and-so is technically on the roster, but available, et cetera, et cetera. So um, one interesting name that might be available or not available, it might be on the team next year, might not is Robin Lute. We actually don't know that he is definitely available, but the, uh, the guys that we know for sure, Minnesota United will have to make a decision on uh, and thanks a million to Jeff Reuter of The Athletic for uh, getting a lot of these fleshed out. But these are guys that who either have a team option or who are fully out of contract. So that's Brent Coleman, Ozzy Alonzo, Marlon Harrison, Ethan Finley, Kevin Molino, who, depending on who you believe, is perhaps one of the two or three best available free agents. Luis Amaria is obviously uh, the loan has expired, but there's almost certainly some negotiation going on about whether he'll return. Kai Kamara and Aaron Schoenfeld. And so for those of you keeping score at home, Minnesota United has no strikers on the roster as of right now. So uh, chances are pretty damn good that either Amari is coming back or they've got some offseason plans in that department. Right. So I think it'd be, let's just maybe if it makes sense, let's just go through each of these individually and just say yes or no, you would bring him back. And we're not, yeah, as I mentioned at the very, very beginning of the podcast, we're not, we're not going to like, you know, parse semantics or whatever. Let's just assume you you get them back at the at the you know level you want you think they deserve, right? So obviously, I think Ozzy, you, you if you you want to bring Ozzy back on, probably not the the salary that he would be getting in his team option. You want to maybe bring him back on a slightly lower salary, um, but would you bring him back? Uh, all right, let's 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 just power through them. Uh, Brent Coleman, yes or no? For the price, yes. Absolutely no, not. Fuck that. <laughs> no for me but yeah i understand what you're saying mj and you, you are probably correct actually for for what he does uh yeah uh dan uh no for me uh ozzy alonzo yes dan no okay <laughs> you want to call names on this yeah sure uh i, I you know i would I, i'll say yes but again you know with the caveat that it's coming back at a different different price uh marlon harrison uh dan uh that's a yes for me MJ. Yes. I agree. Yes. Ethan Finley, Dan. No. No. MJ, okay. Um, 
again, I think, yeah, I think semantics are, are there. I, I, I would waver either way, but if it's, if he's coming back at the same price, no, for me, Kevin Molino, MJ. I'm 50, 50 on this one. This is, this is so tough for me because right, I, I, and I just want to flesh this out just a little bit with Reynoso. I think we could get somebody who is a clinical finisher, but not such liability on defense and turning the ball over with possession. All right, so that sounds like a no. Um, but he does these amazing things. So it's uh, – I'm 50 on that one. Dan, Kevin Molino? I think this is legitimately the hardest decision that any MLS team has to make this offseason um, because he's not going to be cheap. He is going to be in his age 31 season. We could do an entire episode on Kevin Molino, so I, I'll stop there. I'm going to say no. I think the team does bring him back, but I don't think I would. Yeah, I think this is an easy no for me as well. So, uh, Luis Amaria, uh, again, as you, Danny mentioned, uh, the loan is up. Who knows what the – Amaria is still in town, so he's, he's doing all this rehab and stuff in Minnesota, which is, you know, weird. Normally when it's a loan, a loan club or whatever, they, they'll bring you back for that stuff. Um, who knows what the, the money situation is at his – the club that, that loaned him to Minnesota – um, I'll say that I, I think Amaria comes back next year. I don't think I would bring him back, but I think he does come back next year. Uh, Dan. Yeah, I think he, he does come back irrespective of what we all would choose for him. There's so much about his injury that I wish we knew. Um, you Which know, I I, the team knows. sorry, what? Which I assume the team knows. I mean, I assume the team is having him here for a reason, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the things that we don't know are what the exact injury is, how long it had been plaguing him. I mean, we saw we saw a Luis Amaria in the first two games that looked aggressive and dangerous, and I'm getting into semantics that we said we were not going to do. So I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say yes. MJ? Yes. All right. Kai Kamara, I'm going to say that's a hard no for me. MJ? No. Dan? Big no. All right. And then big salary. I think that's a big no as well, but – Dan? Oh, absolutely not. No. MJ. MJ? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, so there's been a couple of, of speculations. Um, one speculation and, and one, some actual reporting happening um, earlier today. So Christian, we mentioned, I think this on the last podcast, or maybe the, the one before that. Uh, Jeff Reuter from The Athletic had a really great piece with uh, interview with Adrian Heath. He's done that. He does this like once every six months or so he gets down, he gets to sit down with Adrian and, and you know, Jeff's a, a really great reporter and gets, gets a lot of things out of people. Um, and Adrian, he's alluded to the fact that Christian Ramirez would very much fit into the system that Minnesota has built right now. So, you know, that is a, when we're talking about strikers and, you know, we, we easily dismiss Kai Kamara and, and big salary uh, Christian Ramirez with Amaria would be, Oh, that'd be fucking awesome. You want to probably bring in one more, just in case. Uh, so maybe it is keeping Aaron Schoenfeld on for, if Aaron Schoenfeld is the one they keep on, but they bring in Christian Ramirez and Luis Amaria, would that be, would you guys be okay with that? That that sounds amazing. I still think in that case, I wouldn't keep Schoenfeld. I think I would draft somebody because there's always an interesting college striker hanging around first, second round, whatever, or, or somebody like Giro, right? Like there's, there's enough or um, Forrest Langsdorf, the, the player they took from Reno. Yep. So I, I Schoenfeld just did not show me anything this year that says he's a first division player in MLS. 
uh, game-winning goal against Cincinnati, notwithstanding, I suppose. But I, I would rather take a gamble on someone than go with a known quantity there. But the the but if you were told big, if you were told it's Amaria Ramirez and Celery, would you be upset? No. Okay. No, I'd be I'd be pretty excited about that because I suspect, and again, I don't know this, but you know, not to belabor my favorite point here, but this team had a Reynoso-shaped hole, so there was definitely the plan. The plan last offseason was Luis Amaria working with Emmanuel Reynoso. Yeah. Uh, all right, and so the other the other big 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 news that was uh, alluded to in the athletic again, I would think believe is uh, Sam Stayskill and Paul Tenorio doing the reporting on it. Uh, Will Trapp, uh, formerly of Columbus Crew, formerly of Inter Miami uh, Club de Football, uh, is on his way to Minnesota. Um, what do you guys? How do you guys feel about this? Will Trapp is a is a uh, more or less a defensive midfielder. Um, I believe he's been capped by the U S men's national team. I want to say 13 or 14 times. Um, he's captained the team. And I know that for sure a couple of times. So will trap um, is this, is this the uh, Aussie replacement that people have been clamoring about for the last, basically since Ozzy signed. I, I think it is. I think this is a sign that the team either won't retain Ozzy at all or will retain him on a figure that is, hey, you're going to play six games and mostly you're going to be a coach, uh, which honestly, if Ozzy takes is, is 100% fine with me. But I, I love this move. Will Trap is probably one of the, let's say, four or five best free agents available in MLS. Um, he's going into his age 28 season, so he's right in his prime. Uh, he's a progressive passer. He's someone that I think pairs really well with Jan Gregush. Uh, and I think could present a, a really interesting new look to the attack. He is, as much as he plays the same position as Ozzy, and we've covered this before, there are about a dozen ways to play the six, and they all give the team a slightly different look. So he is not a destroyer the way Ozzy is, but he is a really good one-on-one -on -one defender. So what I suspect this portends is a team that will be much more attack-focused next year and rely on the back sort of five, not counting the, the keeper in this case to really win all their one-on-one -on -one matchups. So I, I really like this move, but it, I think it is a sign that we're going to see quite a bit of movement this off season to get to a team, a team that plays like the post Reynoso loons did, but at a much higher level. I love this move. I've always wanted a, a younger defensive mid to be an understudy of, of Ozzy Lonzo. Now, this isn't quite, this would have been nice to have two years ago. Timing's not working that way. But this is, to me, why you would bring uh, Ozzy Lonzo back is to be a mentor to Will Trap and, uh, frankly, a, a, sub, a substitute to provide depth at that position. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I don't see Ozzy Lonzo taking that role. Um, and maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, you know, in a in a non-COVID season, I'm sure you could you can you can tell Ozzy Alonso, yeah, we're gonna get you, you know, ten to fifteen starts. You're gonna get into most games um, over the course of the you know the whatever the thirty-four game season plus Open Cup um, plus whatever the if they are, if they're able to do the U.S. Mexico tournament that they were planning on doing this year, um, you know, whatever. Maybe Ozzy says, yeah, knowing that he's probably, this is, you know, probably his last, you know, last year. 
I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Ozzy comes back. I, I'm still, I still that I don't think that means you don't go after Will Trap. In terms of sixes in the um, in MLS, there are better sixes. I don't, Will Trap's not going to be the best six, or probably even you know top three or four number sixes. However, he is a, a domestic player, so you don't have to use an international spot on him. Um, he's going to be much cheaper than trying to spend money on international to bring in to that spot. And he definitely knows. And that's, I think one of the big things we saw, uh, you know, we, I know we've chatted with about Nashville, Nashville, how they built their team was they built their team around American defenders who knew this league, right. And Will Smith, or sorry, Will Trap is a guy who knows this league. He knows the players in this league. He can do the things that Ozzy Alonso can do. And I think that is uh, hugely uh, important. And if you can then use, you know, your international spots and your, your more of your money on, on the attacking pieces, bringing in, you know, maybe if it isn't Omri coming back, bringing in a, uh, a DP striker or something like that. Um, the least amount of money you can spend, you know, money balling this whole, this whole thing. If you can spend less amount of money in your defense and have a really good defense, you can spend your money on attack. That's, I think, a, a good strategy in MLS. So I think this would be a really interesting move. And I, I didn't, I don't know where the fuck this came out of, but apparently it's it's something that is. If Sam Stasco and Paul Tenorio are reporting it in the Athletic, it's it's probably um, uh, fairly certain. So, which is good. And they they reported it as a multi um, multiple sources reporting, which is yeah. a fancy way of saying they got some from the team to confirm it just off the record. Yeah. All right, let's quickly talk uh, talk the MLS Cup final. Obviously, it's going to be uh, the hated Seattle Sounders versus Columbus Crew in Columbus. Um, Columbus is a a small favorite in this match, um, but yeah, what do you guys think about this game? Uh, who do you think wins? Uh, Dan, I gotta tip it to Seattle. I think they're the better of the two teams, but I think having this be the last game in Map Free Stadium, and there will be fans in all likelihood. Uh, it gives the crew a home field advantage that really I'm struggling to think I, it is legitimately possible that Seattle has not played in front of fans this season, except for maybe one or two games in Texas. Other than that, they've been up and down the West coast and all of those stadiums have been closed. So this may be a, it may be a a relatively new experience, but this is an extremely veteran club. I don't think it'll rattle them too much. So I'm going to tip Seattle here. Uh, Yeah. MJ. I'm going to tip the Columbus crew. I think for the reasons Dan said that they're playing at home and they want to go out with a bang. And as much as I like Seattle in as far as their attack is concerned, I think Columbus crew can give them some trouble. And I think that they're more disciplined on the back end than Minnesota United. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with, Dan, I think Seattle has has just too much for the crew. Um, although them winning this game wouldn't be surprising. I think if there's a this a repeat of the was it 2015 final where the crew hosted and the Portland Timbers came to town and uh, um, Stephen Clark made a huge uh, goalkeeping mistake and the Timbers ended up winning the uh, uh, MLS Cup. We get something similar. I think uh, Seattle is just. I, I think there's you know. People talk about the. Um, 
experience of, of postseason, you know, or the, the benefit of post this postseason experience. And I, I don't, I think that's underrated. I think people maybe even talk it up a little bit too much uh, at certain times, but I think Seattle has been there. This is what their fourth final in the last five years. Um, and most of those players you know, are still on this team. This team knows what they need to do to win a game. Uh, they know how to uh, power through uh, adversity, um, clearly, with the match uh, on Monday night. So I think I think Seattle wins this game. I think maybe it's it goes to extra time, but I think uh, Seattle wins this game. So uh, MLS Cup final is on Saturday night at 7 p.m. Central time. So if you want to watch Columbus, Seattle, uh, yeah, I think it's on, oh, it's on Big Fox, too. So it's on uh, the uh, Channel 9 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Big Fox, wherever wherever else you might live. So, you guys gonna watch it? No, I mean probably yes, but uh, my wife and I have uh, where the kid is going over to Grandma and Grandpa's. So we we made this plan earlier this week before the Minnesota United game. I was like, well, if Minnesota United wins, then we can stay home and we can watch the uh, MLS Cup final by ourselves without having to worry about like waking up Ragnar or whatever. And if they lose and they don't go to the final, we can uh, do something else. I think we're actually going to watch the, uh, the Guthrie's, the Guthrie's uh, staging virtually their um, Christmas Carol, which they, they do every year. It's really great. If you ever seen the, uh, the Guthrie version of the Christmas Carol, it's uh, fucking amazing. And apparently they have a, a digital version of it or a virtual version of it this year. So that you can pay to watch I think It's like 10 bucks or whatever. So, I think we're going to do that. I will probably have the game on on my phone while we're watching <laughs> and eating pizza or something. So, you guys? I'll probably watch it. It really depends on what other crazy stuff I'm, I'm doing. I, I have this knack for picking up a lot of projects and then those projects uh, running into soccer games that I am not 100% all in on caring about. I will say this, David, on that 2015... Portland coming into Columbus. Yeah. In that 2015, the manager that won was Caleb Porter. I know. For the Portland Timbers. Yep. He's Columbus, Columbus has him now. So yeah, Columbus right now, yeah. So. so if there's someone who can bring it to the Columbus crew, maybe that guy. <laughs> There's certainly no surprises, right? He and Schmetzer know each other. Yeah. I mean, th- this is the epitome of familiarity breeds contempt, right? Like these, <laughs> these two guys know each other really, really well and not, I'm not going to say that they uniquely dislike each other. It's not like they fight or anything like that, but these two clubs hate each other. And I, I imagine, imagine some of that leaks into the managers. Yeah. I, uh, I can't bring myself to watch this game. Like maybe I'll turn it on on mute, but just knowing that at every like stoppage of play, nothing really to talk about situation. We're just going to hear again and again and again about the Seattle, how Seattle came from behind and what an instant classic. And I can't do it. I can't sit there and, and listen to Twelman or Stu Holden or John Champion or whoever it ends up being. It'd be Stu Holden and uh, John Strong. So, but uh, who, you know. who I like, who I think do a wonderful job, but I, I can't bear to, to listen to them just lament what might have been for Minnesota United. Like Wax. I don't have a lot of self-respect, but I have just enough to not watch that. Yeah. Uh, that's a fair, that's a fair point. So 
Uh, all right. Let's quickly let's quickly do Europe. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, you know let you guys talk about your uh, crappy teams from the weekend, but uh, you know that you want to talk about your crappy teams from the weekend. Nope, sure don't. Nope. <laughs> all right, Liverpool beat Wolves four to nothing, which was uh, a pretty impressive. Did you guys? So, in all seriousness, did you guys see the uh, the video of the cop singing uh, "You'll Never Walk Alone" at the beginning of the game? No. Why would I subject myself to to such? MJ, I know, I, I I know, but it was. I don't think it's it's weird because obviously there's been way more people in in Anfield before, but watching watching that and listening to it, it felt like there was two thousand people in the stadium. It felt like there was fifty two thousand people in the stadium singing that singing, and it wasn't because they were like pumping in extra people singing the song. It was literally just the 2000 people singing. And I think, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I know I have, obviously I'm a huge Liverpool fan, but that particular tradition and, and the, the passion that, that, that has, it's gotta, it's gotta be a little bit. Yes. Although I, I will throw this out there. You're really not supposed to be singing in public during, uh, no, during, and I, <laughs> during COVID. I, this, I was watching the video and like most people have their masks on, which is, which is good. Not everybody. Uh, come on, England, get your shit together. Like, if you're going to let people in the stadiums, at least make sure everybody has their fucking mask on, please. Especially um, when they're singing. Yes, especially when you're singing. Doubly Otherwise, singing. They, they, they will be walking alone. Over. Yes, to their graves. Yes, I, yes I'll yes i make that joke, MJ. I, I'm happy there. Uh, but big Champions League stuff's going on. Um, so, yeah. So, let's, let's start with today. Uh Menu shit the bed, which was always always fun to see. We love to see it. Uh, they get knocked out of uh, Champions League uh, round of sixteen. They're in the Europa League now, um, which maybe maybe a competition that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer can win. Uh, maybe we'll see. I don't know. He's good at the lesser things in life. However, I think the big a big story is PSG in, in Istanbul, uh, Basakashir. Uh, MJ, tell us what happened with that. So, assistant coach for uh, Istanbul, Bashakashir, uh, gets sent off in the 15th minute. Not by the center ref, not by a side judge, but by the fourth ref. So, something that that assistant coach was saying to the fourth ref, which was probably not, hey, we want to sub this player in at 15, 15 minutes. Anyway, some interaction went there. And the fourth official sends off an assistant, not even the head coach, an assistant coach. There's all of a sudden a hubbub. Former Chelsea striker Demba Ba is now in the fourth official's face. And he was overheard saying something. You never say this white guy. So why, when you mention a black guy, do you have to say this black guy? So eventually, Istanbul Vashakashir walk off the pitch. And kudos to Kil Mbappe, who gets all of PSG to walk off the pitch, too. Yeah. It was uh, – did you watch it live? I watched it live. It was, it, was a, it was like – I was like, what the fuck's happening? And then when you sort of get the – get some of the context, you're like, oh, fuck, okay. Um, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing sight. I, I mean, I, I'm glad this happens. I'm – hope that this is the thing that continues to happen, especially when it's supporters 
and referees not like, you know, not hearing, I'm doing air quotes there, not hearing uh, supporters yelling racial epithets at uh, players on opposing teams that both teams will do this, this sort of thing, will walk off the pitch. Uh, apparently they're, they're going to be replaying or they're going to be picking up this match uh, tomorrow at 11.55 in the morning Central Time with a different fourth referee. Um, I got to imagine that uh, that referee might is definitely not going to be refereeing in uh, UEFA, or at least in the Champions and Europa League, much longer. There was a quote from someone on the ref team or someone trying to defend the fourth ref of that when whatever he said about this black guy referring to the assistant coach, not Demba Baba, the assistant coach on, on Istanbul, that there was something lost in translation from the Romanian. He, he was a Romanian. And I think that's bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent bullshit. So that was actually falling off. Like that was the PSG, uh, RB Leipzig and Manu were all tied at nine points uh, in that group going into, uh, into this match. Uh, Man U was playing Leipzig in Germany and managed to again lose three to two. They were down uh, one nothing early, very early in the second minute. Uh, down three nothing at one point. They managed to claw back a couple of goals, uh, but lost three two. So they there's no way they can get through to the Champions League because even if PSG this in this game, the PSG uh, Istanbul game ended or was suspended with at zero zero in the fifteenth minute. Um, no matter what happens with uh, this game, PSG would, would be ahead of Man U uh, to qualify for that uh, round of 16 spot for um, for the Champions League. So, yeah, what's what's going on tomorrow? I mean, I know I know Liverpool has the, their group locked up, so you know whatever they're playing Michelin in in Denmark, and it'll be fun to watch that game with probably all the kids in, in the lineup that all the kids he possibly can get into the Champions League lineup, but. There is there's some intriguing stuff happening tomorrow. There's two groups, Group A and Group E, where the second and third place teams play each other, and it's essentially winner goes through, or if the second place team's up by a point, you know, yeah. a, a draw would send them through. So those are two yeah, really interesting. Exeter Atlanta is one of those, and that is the the Liverpool group. The whoever wins that game goes through. So let's go Ajax. Yes. And the the weird group to me is Group B, the group of life where Gladbach's at eight, Shakhtar's at seven, Real Madrid's at seven, and Inter's at five. And if, if this were 10 years ago, Inter and Real Madrid would be at the top of that table, but they're at the bottom. Inter's been interesting this season. Uh, pretty dang good in, in Italy and just has not had it translate to Europe, and that's a little uncommon for them. By the way, if you guys aren't watching the Italian League this season, it's actually super fun. Uh, it, oh. Juventus is not running away with this like they used to. No, and uh, and uh, AC Milan has looked really good, especially they're very, very young too. It amuses the hell out of me that Zlatan is so good, again. I mean, and he's he's – absolutely dominant for for AC Milan he's been great to watch and just to remember that Brent Coleman pocketed him twice <laughs> like, right? that's a it's a it's a remarkable thing to remember yeah it's yeah it is pretty amazing so um who so yeah so like that group of life there's a uh I want to say there's a non 
none, zero possibility that Real Madrid can, or no, there is, there's no way Real Madrid can't get knocked out of Europa even, right? Who, who plays in, 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 in those matches tomorrow? In group B. Oh, okay. Yeah. I had it up. Sorry. I went away from it. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, so Madrid, Madrid plays Gladbach. Uh, Madrid hosts Gladbach. Uh, Inter host uh, Shakhtar. So there is a possibility that if uh, Inter beats Shakhtar and Gladbach beats Real Madrid, that Real Madrid could potentially be knocked out of Europe uh, tomorrow. Which would be incredible. It'd be fucking amazing. Uh, would Zidane so. even survive, like the rest of the day? God, that's a that's a very good question. Probably not. I would assume not. But who the fuck knows? I mean, when was the last time both Barcelona and Madrid fired their coach in the same calendar year? Like, I got to imagine that hasn't happened super often. This is this is not your father's or even your older older brothers La Liga. Dan, you mentioned it early, earlier this season where, like, didn't see this La Liga table coming after the first five weeks. Yeah, didn't didn't Barcelona lose to Cadiz over the weekend? Yes. Yeah, it, the Europe, uh, the European leagues have been have been kind of insane uh, over the course of the last uh, whatever, last six months, especially uh, with the coming back and playing amidst COVID and stuff. And, and now at the beginning, like with literally no training camps, of course, it's just going to be going to be weird. Um, all right. Well, I think that wraps this up, guys, unless you guys have anything else you want to uh, you want to add in, in the European section. Gabriel Martinelli uh, came back from his knee injury to play for the Arsenal U23s. So Arsenal's attack is going to get better soon, which is very <laughs> exciting because it literally can't get worse. <laughs> it, uh, aren't there, let's see, it, it's three players who have more goals in uh, the EPL than uh, Arsenal has scored the entire year? Oh, almost certainly. I think we have 10 goals scored this year and Hyungman Son when he scored his uh, his goal against Arsenal over the weekend, that was his 10th. I think it so. might be the two. I think it might be Hyunming Song and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, but, like, there's Harry Kane has a nine. Mo Salah has nine. Like, there's... Jamie Vardy's got to be right there as well. Yeah, there's several players who have, like, nine goals who have scored almost as many goals as Arsenal scored the entire year. So, um, I, that's fun. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't pity you, Dan, because, you know, whatever, fuck Arsenal. But uh, <laughs> I do. It's... He, Mikel Arteta, he can, he looks. I mean, he's obviously very attractive, but he looks. And, and sometimes when they play, it looks so attractive, and then sometimes it looks so bad. And I just can't quite figure out, like what the, what it is, what ratio is. Is it is it more good than bad, or is it more bad than good? I I don't, I don't know. I mean, then, they started off the season definitely more good than bad, and for the last two months have been almost unwatchable in the league. If you watch their Europa league performances, you'd be convinced this team had title aspirations because they routinely whoop teams up. I mean, three, nothing four nothing in games that aren't even that close, but you get them in the league and they can play. Like, I think their next game is against Southampton. And I wouldn't bet your money on Arsenal winning that game. <laughs> 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 
uh, I don't know how to feel about this, Dan. That, that, that's that's a lot of warm fuzzies all of a sudden. Yeah, that's me, MJ. I'm just a super cuddly dude. You know that. Uh, who do we have this Thursday? I think we played Rapid Veen. Oh, it's the oh oh oh, oh it's uh, Dundalk. Dundalk. Ah. So we're, we are taking the flight across the Irish Sea. And again, <laughs> like if they lose that game, I think they should just leave Arteta in Ireland. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, guys, this was great. Uh, thank you so much for for let's do it doing this. Uh, we'll come back when we come back next time, and and you know who knows when we actually we'll, we'll podcast. Maybe maybe we take a week off and or we do something later next week. Um, we'll obviously chat about this uh, offline, but we'll talk. Thing maybe we uh, we talk about like our end of year awards, things like that. So if you have any thoughts, if you are listening to this podcast, you're still listening to this podcast at this point. If you have any thoughts on who should win end of year awards? Fuck, make up your own awards and send them to us, and we can we'll we'll debate them. Uh, please always rate and review the podcast uh, wherever you listen to this fine, uh, salacious podcast. Daysiknow.com is where you can find us. Patreon.com/slash Daysiknow. Again, we'll have we have a few extra Heath out stout bombers. So if you want to get in, you get in on that six dollar a month level. Um, you're not going to be disappointed. You're going to get a really delicious beer, and then uh, then all the extra content that we have all the content we have already on the patreon you can find me or find us always at tdikmn i'm at texas Zeller. dan's at d wade mj's at mj metsui our good friend bill mcguire who is back for a very brief time on saturday at bill underscore mcguire we have been the days you know this is the day we have to try and work it out because we both know we can't do nothing at all Long as you do yours, land here become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son.